Welcome to the Mind Design Sports Podcast. I'm Brandon, and in each episode, I'll be talking about sports psychology with the guest speaker. If you want to design your sports experience, you've come to the right place. If you want more tips and insights on how to improve your sports performance mentally, check out our website and other podcasts at mind-designsports.org. Today, we are talking with Dr. Rob Bell, a sports psychology coach, speaker, and author. Since 2006, he has consulted with hundreds of athletes, coaches, and teams. He has worked with the winners on the PGA Tour, an Olympic silver medalist, ATP champion, and the 2013 USTA national champion, and caddied over 20-plus events on professional golf tours. He has written six books on mental toughness and also has a great sports psychology podcast, 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness. Today, me and Rob are going to talk about mental toughness, and general sports psychology concepts. Rob, thanks for joining me. You bet, Brandon. Thanks for having me, man. Can you tell us about your work, your coaching experience, and why you've decided to engage in sports psychology? Yeah, I mean, you know, sports psychology is all I've ever known when it comes to coaching. So, I mean, I've been blessed to work with all different sports and all different athletes, man. And, um, you know, ever since I was in college and – failed out as a collegiate athlete, it was uh, tattooed in my heart what I was going to do. And that was work with athletes, coaches, and teams, helping them perform their best when it matters the most. And then the other part is how to handle, cope, and deal with the adversity, the struggle, and the setbacks in life. And, and one of the things I believe is that, you know, it's not about the setback. It is about the comeback. That's great. What do you do as a coach and do you 1v1 and help out athletes individually like through Zoom or? Well, I mean, the majority of my ath- uh, athletes I work with, I mean, if it's a professional athlete, a lot of times, I mean, it's uh, face-to-face. It's going to be at their office, which is, you know, either the golf course or the racetrack or swimming pool. And that's the best part about my job, man, is my office gets to change. Obviously, with COVID, a lot of that uh, shifted a bit but the majority of my work is still always face to face. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's working with teams and athletes. So it's one-on-one and it's in its team wise. And the other part is, you know, speaking to organizations and companies and schools. And with that becomes, you know, also executive coaching. A lot of that becomes, you know, one-on-one as well, but that's, that's definitely the sweet spot of, of my coaching and, and my philosophy is, is work on one-on-one because I, I think from that is when you get to see the, the transformation, those hinge moments, those fist pump moments. And you don't get that really any other relationship, uh, but the coaching relationship on one-on-one allows that to happen. Gotcha. So for context reasons, what are some notable athletes or organizations or teams that you've met or even coached? Uh, I mean, you know, it said it like in the very beginning, man, I'm, I've, I've been three different uh, PJ tour winners, um, Worked with, uh, you know, Olympic silver medalists. Uh, I mean, you know, spoken at Walgreens, Marriott, um, you know, PGA of America. Um, who else, man? I'm just kind of looking at my wall here. I got a little wall of fame. I mean, a lot of, you know, hundreds of collegiate athletes. Um, so, I mean, it's just been uh, been blessed, man. It's been an awesome, uh, awesome journey about being able to work with so many different types, man. So what does it mean to you to be a psychological coach? Is coaching your life motto? Um, yeah, if you could answer that, that'd be cool. It's about being the best at getting better. 
if if that's where it comes back to with my motto is how do you be the best at getting better and that's the part where it's a really really tough journey and i believe i mean my philosophy is that everybody needs a coach i don't think we were meant to coach ourselves i mean i've got a coach and and that's where i think then the the power of a coach is it can point out the blind spots in our lives and we can't point out our own blind spots you know that's why they're blind and it's only through coaches, man, are they able to challenge us, encourage us, support us, connect us with other people that are, that are going to be able to help us as well. And that's what it boils down to, man, is how do we, you know, be the best at getting better. And then that's focused on the process. So I know you're very interested in mental toughness and you're knowledgeable about that. So what does mental toughness mean to you? So mental toughness, it's very simple. It's just not easy. And if people think mental toughness is the end all be all, I mean, you know, mental toughness isn't going to win anybody a championship, but mental toughness, if they don't have it, it will lose it for them. But if we define mental toughness, because there's going to be tons of definitions out there and they just kind of float out there and people make them up. And But the, the real definition of mental toughness is one, how we perform under pressure, and then two, how we cope and deal with the adversity in life. That's all it is, man. I'm a jeans and t-shirt kind of guy, man. we got to keep this definition as simple as we can, but that's all it is. So what are some tips to perform under pressure, whether that's before the game or even even before a competition or during a competition? Well, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a loaded question, you know, because, I mean, it's not just one thing. It's not just one tip or tactic. It's, it's how it's always getting back to our preparation. And what I believe is that in our preparation, no matter what we're going to be doing, whether it's, you know, taking a test or getting ready to speak to a group, we have to make our preparation more difficult than our actual competition. So we have to know where our mind is going to go under those pressure moments. And because, you know, things could be going great and when it's not, you know, pressure packed, but then we start thinking about all right, well, don't miss or don't mess up. And we have to know where our mind is going to go under those pressure circumstances. So that's why I really believe it always come back to our preparation and we got to make it more difficult than our actual competition. Okay, that's great. So let's say like you're a basketball player and you're trying to prepare for a big championship game. How would you put more pressure on yourself before that game? Like since there's no fans or no teammates around you or opponents? Well, I mean, when it comes to, you know, a basketball player, I mean, in terms of like a team, I mean, you know, basketball is a great example of it because it's, it's a reaction sport. I mean, you know, you catch and shoot. There's not a lot of times that you're catching the ball and like aiming it up and trying to think when, when does the game really slow down and change and when does it become more mental is at the free throw line. And so for instance, then let's say at the free throw line, a team that goes through and just shoots their free throws without anything on the line about it, that's not really preparing them mentally. But if you go through where the whole team has to make one in a row uh, or you know, you put something on the line and it, and it resembles, you know, shooting two free throws at a time. Or if you're going to be trying to get in a one-on-one -on -one situation, how are you preparing for that? So then it's just getting back to, you know, really being creative with the, the coaching style. And that's the way that you kind of prepare for it. Sounds good. Do you have a plan or course of action that will allow an athlete to achieve maximum concentration before competition? 
Oh, that's an interesting question, man. I mean, you know, we, we perform like we train, so it's back to our preparation. And are we working on our, our routines, you know, having that quiet mind? The goal, whenever we're trying to play, is to be physically loose and mentally tight. And everybody is a little bit different, but we got to know what is the strategy that works for us, because I believe that success leaves clues. And it's it's just a matter of repeating that process and what our own recipe is, man. So it's about knowing ourselves more than anything. So you've coached teams and individuals. How does your approach change when you coach a team versus an individual, if there's any changes or differences? Yeah, it's big, man. I think when you're coaching a team, you got to reach everybody. So there, there's a bit of, you know, presentation style to it and capturing, uh, you know, people's hearts and minds as a collective group. And if you think about like the personality of a team or the energy of a team, as opposed to working with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, then it's just one individual personality. And how does that then, you know, again, I mean, then, then we're working as an individual sport or as a team sport. If it's an individual in a team sport, how do their goals match up with, with the teams? And what is it that's keeping them from getting to where they want to go? So on a one-on-one -on -one relationship, you just get down to the heart of the matter very, very quickly, as opposed to a team where that rapport and trust has to be built amongst you coming in and throughout the season, knowing that, you know, you care about the collective unit as, as a team and about helping them reach their goals. Once that's established, then people open up, man, they're more transparent about, you know, think about the relationships just that happen on a team, man. And, you know, is that helping them towards their goals or is it keeping them from it? And there's a lot of different dynamics and every sport changes, man. But that's the point about, you know, having a good mental coach on that team is they can diagnose that and get to it and, and help them out. I understand. So could you share us a, little, a moment when you overcame a difficult challenge in preparing an athlete for competition? Or I know you're physically active as well. So maybe um, a difficult moment that you went through when as an athlete yourself? Yeah, man, good question, Brandon. I mean, I think, you know, part of it was, you know, it's kind of getting back to my latest book, You Can Rally. And it's not a plug. It was just, man, this is how the book came to be. It was a, uh, it was you know, I had a, a 50 mile race and it was one of those conditions where everything that could have gone wrong sort of went wrong. So let me just phrase it for instance. It's like, you know, we prepare like, well, we play like we train, you know, with this 50 mile run, it was all in the mountains and I prepared for it on flat ground. The, the day of the race came and it's in the 80 degrees. Well, man, all my training was in the 40 degrees because it skipped spring that year. And, you know, when you think about the length of a, a race like that, a lot can go wrong. Well, it was, uh, buddy, we were coming up on mile 24 of the race. And I hit one of those moments where I, if you can just kind of picture it like this, 80 some degrees out. And I've got the chills and I've got goosebumps and now my lips are blue. And, you know, it's not a good situation to be, man. That's what happens like when dehydration really kicks in. And I had, uh, man, everything that I had eaten in a couple miles before all came up and all came up at once. And it was at that moment that like the sky opens up in this race. I had uh, reached this rest station, this aid station, and my family was there. My wife and my kids were there and they're watching their dad just 
throw up and they have no idea what's going on. And as this is going on, man, it, uh, the sky opens up and the sky opens up and it just starts pouring down rain. So we kind of retreat to the car. And as we retreat to the car where we're at, um, you know, I'm opening up the car door. It's pouring down rain. I mean, pouring down. We're like, if you, if you're out there for a couple of seconds, you're just drenched, open up the car door, just puke, close the car door. And then look at my kids who are just crying. Cause they have no idea what's going on, man. You know, eight and six at the time, buddy. So it's like, my wife then comes in the door and she says, look, I, I told him you're dropping out. And I couldn't really argue with him. And so then we're driving back to the cabin that we had rented for that weekend. As we get back, man, then I've got the dry heaves. I try to get in the shower, warming up. And I couldn't really argue with her, although my mind was starting to come around. It was like, you know, what, what just happened? Like, how did this happen? And I uh, kind of lay down for about a 30-minute nap. And they go out for lunch. They come back. And then I wake up. And then they lay down for a nap. Now it's about, what, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, man. About an hour and a half after this has, you know, puke fest has taken over. And I kind of have some water. I have like a chicken finger that they had brought back from lunch and that stays down. And as that kind of stayed down, then it became one of those who are you moments. And these are the important moments in life because who are you? You're the one that has to look at yourself in the mirror. And it's a difficult place to be. But I asked myself, like, well, who are you? Like, and I went, I woke my wife back up and I told her, I said, we're going back to finish this race. And she thought I was joking at first, but we drove back to that same spot where I dropped out and ended up finishing this race. And the reason why I finished the race is because, man, in my philosophy in life, and especially when it comes to our family, man, is you just don't quit. Like you do not give up. And that was one of those instances where, look, man, when it's all said and done, more is said than done. Most people in life, man, they're talkers. They're not walkers. But it's only under those extreme duress moments that you really find out what it is that you're made of. And I didn't quit, man. I ended up finishing that race. And that was just an example of, look, that's just one type of mental toughness. But that was an example there, man, of what you asked. And that's how it came through, man. And it, 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 that moment right there has led to so many different relationships, and man, it led to the book Puke and Rally. And that was my seventh one, man. And, you know, I do these because of the experience, but also because of the camaraderie and the people that come around you and can help you reach your goals. So that was one instance, man. So hopefully that one was okay. I didn't mean to belabor it too long. No, that was a super interesting story. That's pretty inspirational as well. So actually, since we're on the topic of books, um, do you want to talk more about Puke and Rally and why did you name it Puke and Rally? What do you mean by rally? Well, that's, uh, I named it Puke and Rally because that's what happened in, in my circumstance, right? I mean, I puked, dropped out from the race, but then I rallied, it came back and finished. And, you know, the puke moments in life, I mean, we've all thrown up, right? Like there hasn't, nobody listening to this hasn't thrown up. And I hate throwing up. I can't stand it. But it, it, it's sort of a, a metaphor of life too, because when you have somebody that tells you you can't do it, that's a puke moment, man. When you tell when you have somebody that that, you know, says or you get cut from a team or you don't make something or you have that setback. So any kind of major setback that's going to happen in life is a puke moment because it's very very painful. And then what does it take to rally? And what it takes to rally, man, is confidence and belief in yourself. And how do we get that? We get that through the connections with other people that we have in our lives. And are we helping other people get to where they want to go? Because if we help enough people get to where they want to go, we're going to get to where we want to go. 
but it goes a whole lot deeper than that because what I believe is that we have to help. It's only when we're able to help other people that we're, that we're able to help ourselves. And that's what it really means to, to rally, man, is what's the values that we stand by? Are we confident enough? And do we have those connections in place that are going to help us rally in life, man? Sounds good. Another book I know you have is about hinge moments. Can you elaborate on what that means and what you talked about in that book? Maybe like some cool points that you want to hit on that for the audience? Yeah, buddy. Yeah, the hinge is like the importance of mental toughness. So every door has a hinge, right? A door without a hinge is a wall. It just doesn't work. So when you hear it's about doors opening and closing in life, that is because of the hinge. If you ever hear of a rusty door, it's not the door that's rusty at all, man. It's the hinge that gets rusty. So what the hinge is in our lives, it is that one moment, that one person or one event, maybe one decision that makes all the difference in our lives. It connects who we are with who we're going to become. We just don't know when that moment or who that person is going to be. We can't connect the dots in life looking forward. We can only connect the dots looking backwards and seeing the impact that one person had in our life, that one decision or one moment had in our life. And I believe that we're going to have multiple hundred moments in our life, but it's only through time and perspective do we see the impact that that one person had. We can't tell the significance of a moment in the actual moment. But if you look back at really any important competition, it, it comes back to, hey, one play that makes all the difference. And when it comes back to then what's the importance of mental toughness, it's the hinge. It's the fact that every single one of us is getting ready for these moments that we don't know what it looks like or what it's going to be, but that's what we're preparing for. And the thing about mental toughness is once your moment hits, it's too late to prepare. Like you have to be ready for those kind of situations. Hence, the importance of mental toughness, the importance of our, our mental training and the effort that we put into that. And that's what the hinge is all about, man. So I think you once said that everyone has um, their hinge moments. So my question is, when do you know you have a hinge moment? And maybe can you give an example of that? Like maybe a hinge moment of an athlete you worked with or even your own hinge moment? Sure, man. So, I mean, I shared one hinge moment was, you know, the puke and rally, right? It was, it was in that moment that it became a who are you moment. And, you know, that's a hinge moment in my life. Since we don't know, we can't know sometimes the impact that one person had our lives, man, until weeks, months, years later. We don't know the impact of like one play sometimes till later on. The part about hinge moments that we know that are immediate are tragedies, tragedies that happen in our life, right? Death of a loved one, cancer, pandemics, for instance. These tragedies that happen in our life, from, because from that moment on, everything is different. Everything has changed. You know, the hinge moments, um, we, we're going to have multiples, man, through our life. And if you look at them, if we can, you know, be able to reflect on them and see, man, the impact, that's the that's where I think that life becomes so beautiful, man, because we don't know who it's going to be or what it's going to look like. And that's the importance of treating every kind of situation like it's the most important, treating every practice like we have, like it's the most important, every person that we meet, like it's the most important, because we don't know the person that we're sitting next to in class. That might be the person that hires us or gives us that break. 
And if you look back at any any life, any career, they all have these moments, and that's what we're getting ready for, man. It's a, it's a, if, if, if people can take this that are listening to it, man, the, the impact of your life, the difference in your life is going to be dependent on two things. One, the books that you read and the people that you meet. And it's you're going to hear this, right? Like it's not what you know, it's, it's who you know. But it goes deeper than that, man. It's who knows you. And are they going to be thinking of you whenever that moment happens? You know, and that's just life, man. And that's what we're just preparing for, buddy. So it's, I think we're going to have multiples. I don't think we know exactly when they are. Tragedies are immediate hinges. But when it comes to real importance and mental toughness, man, that's, we're just getting ready for those moments, buddy. Yeah, I love those insights. Can you talk to us about your other books and their titles and some takeaways, perhaps? Yeah, man. I mean, I wrote uh, Don't Should on Your Kids Build Their Mental Toughness. That was for parents to help their kids build mental toughness. Uh, no Fear, A Simple Guide to Mental Toughness was was another. Uh, no One Gets There Alone, man. No One Gets There Alone was, uh, that was my sixth book. That was right before Puke and Rally. No One Gets There Alone, I kind of explained to that one a little bit ago, man. It's like if we help enough people reach their goals, we're going to reach ours. And how do we actually work on coaching ourselves? It's by coaching others, man. It's about a better us makes a better you, and a better you makes a better us. And then um, pro fo- uh, 50 Ways to Win, Pro Football's Hinge Moments. And then my very first book, man, that was for uh, my pro golfers, but that was uh, Mental Toughness Training for Golf, man. And that was how do we, like I said before, how do we make uh, uh, preparation and practice more difficult than our actual competition? Sounds good. Perfect. I was going around your YouTube channel and I saw some interesting videos and I think I came by and you said once that, quote, I think everyone is an athlete. So why do you think that? That's a good one, man. I'm glad you watched that, buddy. I'll leave a comment saying how much you like it, you know. <laughs> the uh, Well, I mean, you think about it, everyone is an athlete or off is just different. And Like, what's it mean to be an athlete? Well, as an athlete, think about this, right? If you have any losses in life, you're going to be an athlete. And as an athlete, we're going to have more losses than we do wins. We're going to have more setbacks. But it's not about the setback. It's about the comeback. But the real importance of being an athlete and athlete mindset is this, man, is that who we is as an athlete, we compete. And now when I say the word compete, a lot of times we think about beating an opponent. But the real competition is against our own mind. And our own mind has one job. And that's to keep us safe. It doesn't care about our goals, doesn't care about us being the best that we can be. Our mind's job is to keep us safe. Well, how do we stay safe, man? Well, don't put yourself out there. And so imagine trying to beat somebody on one-on-one basketball who already knows what you're going to do before they do it, you know, before you do it. It's tough to beat that person. Well, that's who we're going up with every single day. And so that voice in the very morning when we wake up, it says, man, you don't have to run today or, man, you don't have to push it. That's who we're competing against. And that's what the athlete mindset is all about, man, is it's about being able to compete to that voice. And a lot of times it gets back to telling ourselves rather than just listening to ourselves. And we get into the the strategies on how we do that stuff. But that's what it means to be an athlete, man, is we're always going to be competing and we're competing against the most difficult opponent, and that's ourselves, our own mind. Very interesting. Do you have anything else you'd like to highlight from your YouTube? No, buddy, you mentioned it, man. It's good. Uh, so, people can go there, man. You put the links on that. and uh, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, appreciate it. 
And I know you also run on your own podcast, like 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness. And do you want to highlight anything from there? Like, what do you talk about or any special guests and maybe oh, anything man. Dave highlighted about? Yeah, I appreciate that, man. I mean, I started 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness because if you think about it, like if you read a book, you probably get one or two really good ideas from the book. Now, you may think like, yeah, that's a really great book. But then you, okay, well, what, what do you remember from that book? And a lot of times, it's usually one or two moments. So these interviews are going to be 45, or 45 to 60 minutes, but you're going to get 15 minutes, I think, of man, like really great content that you can take and apply to your own life. Hence, 15 minutes of mental toughness. And all we talk about, I and mean, I talk with experts, coaches, players, man, that have mental toughness and, and what is mental toughness to them. And then the other part, man, is what's been their hinge moments. You know, what's been that one moment that's made all the difference in our lives. And the ability to talk with so many interesting people, man, helped me out. But uh, it gets their story out to people that I think need to hear them. No matter how bad a situation is, no matter how bleak an outcome is, it only takes one. It only takes one, man. One shot, one person, one moment that's going to make all the difference in our lives. And it's going to connect who we are with who we're going to become. And that's what the hinge is all about. Got it. What will be your recommendations for athletes on how to stay consistent and manage conditions after an excellent performance? Mm, after an excellent performance? Well, you can be pleased, but never satisfied. And that's a really difficult place to be, man, because you want to celebrate, you want to have fun. And I believe celebration is important, but you can be pleased, but never satisfied. That's how... That's how after excellent performances that you stay humble and you stay hungry is, is always, always striving to get better. And that's what really separates the best from people that are just really good. If you look at consistency, who doesn't want to be more consistent, man? It's probably the most underrated mental skill that there is. Because if you show me somebody that's consistent, buddy, I'm going to show you uh, somebody that a coach wants on their team all the time. They want that consistent athlete, man, that consistent player, because they know what they're going to get. Yeah, I agree. So even after an excellent performance, what would you tell an athlete if they just naturally like their confidence boosts and their ego boosts and they really can't control it and they just can't keep their humble levels um, at a moderate level? Hmm. I mean, that's a tough question. I want you, so I answer this the right way, man. Can you elaborate on what you mean? Yeah, so maybe if you're an athlete and you do really well one game and you just really want to party and celebrate and not really want to work and then you just kind of take things not as seriously anymore what would you tell that athlete to do to like get them back into the right state of mind okay well then that's that's so i think again i mean because i think after a great performance you know you can celebrate i don't know about partying and stuff it depends on what the goals are you know if it's if it's to have that one great performance and you don't care about the next one then well then yeah party if, if you care about being great care about reaching your potential man and giving yourself opportunities in life then like i said before man you can be pleased but never satisfied the moment you get satisfied is the moment you get lackadaisical and complacent and other people pass you by and that's the real struggle with people that are young that have success early but it doesn't matter how good you are at age 12. nobody cares doesn't matter how good you are at age 13 or 14 man it's just it's can you that's why I always say it's not who gets there first, it's who can get there and stay there. Can you be the best at getting better? That's what it's really all about, and that's the importance of it. Totally agree. What are some factors that 
can knock an athlete's performance down or their mood down? And how would you work with an athlete to eliminate these factors? Well, I, I think the biggest thing that affects mood and performance level is mistakes and the ability to move on from mistakes, move on from setbacks. That's is what hinders most people. And underneath that is the level of confidence that we have in ourselves. Cause if you show me somebody that's confident, I will show you somebody that's able to move on and let go of mistakes. But from the day-to-day process, man, on getting better, it's always that, how do we move on? That's, that's the biggest part. Got it. I know I was reading around your article. I don't know if it was on YouTube, but I came across like the no fear acronym you came up with. What does each letter mean? And can you give an example for each one? Yeah. So no fear. So this was, um, mentor of mine like dan check who's at uh georgia southern university it's fantastic and he, he used this and you know back in the day there used to be these no fear t-shirts that that got sold around and people just have no fear on them well he took it and turned it into an acronym and so i took it and turned it to a different acronym and you know man people can just uh i mean if they just google that man just no fear a simple guide to mental toughness and it goes it's an 18 minute video man but uh instead of going through each letter here man just have people go to it and it and uh it lays out each one and, and a story underneath them, but it's, it's, Hey man, this is the guide to mental toughness, which is simple. It's just not easy to do, man. So they can just, uh, put that in the, put that in the browser, man. It'll show up for them. I see. Um, I was going on your Instagram as well. And you said one way to deal with fear is to surround yourself with people who will listen. Could you talk about what that means and the meaning behind it? Yeah, so it's kind of back to that, how do we rally? And we rally through connection and confidence. What happens when we lose confidence in life, right? We isolate, man. We don't connect with others. And that's the problem with life today, man, is a lot of times we have these superficial connections over social media that that we think are real, but they're not They're not really that deep, man. And, you know, and a like might feel us, make us feel good, but it, it doesn't give us real meaning in our lives. It's only through that connection. And so it's about creating that support system that you're going to need before you need it. That's where people that like, who is it that's really going to be able to listen to you, not have to provide advice or try and solve your problem, just can listen to you. Because I think a problem shared becomes half a problem. And that's where our, our job, man, is to create those connections and relationships in life. So when we are going to need them, man, they're already built, man, they're already there. Do you think that a shy person can become a high-level athlete, or do you think more outgoing people have a better chance to play at that those higher-level leagues? Now, people would automatically think, well, because somebody is outgoing or extroverted, that it would make them, you know, a better athlete. And the reality is, man, is thousands of research, thousands of research studies have been done on personality, and there is no one personality that is indicative of success. Now, somebody that is extroverted or more outspoken might be a better leader or might be more bombastic, but it just means that they're louder. But it doesn't mean that somebody who is introverted or shy can't be a fantastic leader or a fantastic athlete, man. And that's the part where 
you know, people want to say, well, it's personality and, but that's, that's not true, man. It's really the mental skills that somebody has. Somebody that's shy, man, that's extremely focused in what they do, man, can, can absolutely be successful. Sounds good. Do you have anything else you want to share to the audience that you think younger athletes should know about sports psychology or really anything about performance? No, buddy, man, you covered it, man. I mean, the biggest thing, it's it's about puke and rally, man. It's not about the setback. It's about the comeback. Bad stuff's going to happen. It's how we deal with it and how we got to know that a better moment is coming up for us. And like I said earlier, man, with that hinge, man, no matter how bad our situation is, no matter how bleak an outcome looks, it only takes one. That's what we're getting ready for. Rob, those are all my questions. Thanks for coming on here. It was a pleasure, and I think you're super accomplished, and I love the puke and rally story. Yeah, Have thanks, a good day. Buddy. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the Minds on Sports podcast. Before you leave, please show some love for the podcast by subscribing, liking, and commenting. Stay tuned for next month's podcast with a new guest speaker.